Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Odds, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast where we confront not only the fantasies, (laughs) but also the fallacies of modern day Christian culture. And we do this with compassion, also conviction and courage. And for those of you who are nervous or worried, where is Peter? I promise he's not gone. I'm just feeling his (laughs) (laughs) So for those who are nervous, Peter will be back for another time. But for today, I'm going to be your host. My name is Deshaun, one of the pastors here at Building 28. But I will not waste any time and get to the person who you guys are all here for. Uh, I don't know if they're all here for me. They're all here for superpowers. <laughs> no, but, uh, and there's, we love wasting time too. here, bro. <laughs> Deshaun's first day hosting, Peter was entangled. Those who don't know, he is a high power, high octane attorney. And he has trials and he has criminals and all kinds of stuff. He's so anyway, busy guy. Busy guy. Busy guy. So he couldn't make it today. But I'm happy that Boogie's here with us, hosting Glad us. to be here. to lead us in this. And here's the topic. And we've actually gotten a lot. As a matter of fact, last night... I was walking through our admin wing and our two youngest staff members, Danny Van, our media assistant, and our newest staff member, um, our worship intern, Sophia, they were talking and they asked what the podcast was on today. And I said, uh, I said, what one, the next podcast we're going to be doing, which I won't spoil that, it's for another time. But, and I said, we're also recording, should churches use, implement altar calls? And for whatever reason, both of them, probably because they were raised in churches that did employ this, these mm-hmm. tactics. They perked up right away and they're like, man, I, I want to sit in for that. Like, I, you know, I want to hear that. And that's the theme for today. I think it's I think it's across generations, um, especially if you've grown up in Pentecostalism, in Baptist circles and charismatic circles. Um, it's not as prevalent in kind of real staunchly reformed churches. Um, but the question for us is it's been around for close to two centuries now, pretty prolifically. We've seen it in the waves of revivalism in the 19th and 20th century. Many people sketch back the beginning origins of their faith to a time where they heard Billy Graham and responded to a gospel call to come forward and kneel there at the altar and receive Christ and pray the sinner's prayer, which we might get into a little bit here as well. But really, the primary question that we're looking to address today is, should we as churches, as Christians, as pastors, should we want an altar call? Should we use an altar call in church? Um, is there Are there good reasons for this? Are there reasons why we should refrain from it? So to help answer that question today, and uh, if you would, just repeat after me, <laughs> dear Jesus. <laughs> No, just I'd help us answer that question today is my good buddy, the almost doctor himself, Super Adam Powers, back on the podcast. Woo! Yeah, I'm back. Yeah. And, uh, good to be here. <laughs> good, good to be here, bro. So uh, there you go. That's what happens when I don't um, put the main ID in print. I just kind of ramble about oh, it. Oh, that's but, good. Uh, very yeah. good questions and very good. Yeah, yeah. No, it's relevant. And as we're thinking of good questions, and as you were saying, with some people where we have this history or just this understanding, we grew up around altar calls. But before we get to seeing where they are today, looking back to where do they even come from? Because you said only a couple centuries, but what is the history and origin 
overall to calls? How do they come to this point where we are today? Adam, why don't you take – I'm going to take the, the philosophy of where they came from okay. or attempt to. Why don't you take the history? Okay. that's cool. Okay. Because we were talking about this a little bit before. Sure. Like, who's sure, going to sure. talk about? Yeah. Finney. Finney. The greatest theologian in the modern He's era. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so when would you say the first Great Awakening began? 17 – late 1720s, okay. early 1730s. The moment Jonathan Edwards is a pastor, yeah. Northampton, Connecticut, mm-hmm. a lot of the Puritans that had come over on the boat uh, in the colonies. The boat. The boat. Uh, were, were there. The First Great Awakening, a largely theological awakening, heavy on preaching, heavy on repentance, heavy on doctrine, heavy on affections and feeling yeah. the same things that we're believing, Which but rightly, mm-hmm. by a lot of rightly so, not wrongly so, yeah. things like this, revolutionized the world. Eschatologically, they're all post-mill, things like this. Uh, the next generation, though, comes about right the beginning of the 1800s or so 19th century turn of the century a man named charles finney who's a presbyterian minister at the time always got <laughs> be careful these guys right just kidding um you do yeah. you should be careful with everybody <laughs> that's true <laughs> amen uh he has an idea that is somewhat novel and he takes with it and runs with it And he is the first person that coined the term altar call in his tent revival meetings. Whereas the first great awakening, like Jonathan Edwards and those folks would say that a revival defined by Ian Murray in his book, Revival and Revivalism, uh, he'd say a revival is an extraordinary move of God using the ordinary means that God does in the church. So the preaching of the word, um, the sacraments, fellowship, prayer, th- things like this. That's what causes revival. God's extraordinary work in these ordinary means of the church. <laughs> the next generation with Charles Finney, you see something of revivalism where it's not so much an extraordinary move of God with the ordinary means of grace. It's man's work to create and bring revival to foster it themselves. And Charles Finney would say, this is what was new with him, novel idea. We don't need the move of God or the spirit of God to have revival, we can do this ourselves. So if we do A, B, and C, D will automatically happen. This is what Finney says, and D for him was revival. One of the elements that he had in his revivalistic formula was the altar call. And we have this idea of what that is today. We can talk about that. But for Finney, it was something of a very pointed potent moment where he would either talk to the church as it's gathered as a whole, or he would bring one one individual in front of them with a, they'd put a little short pew, a little bench called, they'd call the anxious bench uh-huh. right in front of the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And he just preached to this one individual until they were so overwhelmed that they would repent. And then he would basically say, what's happened here? And he's happened to everybody. And this was basically the altar call was saying well, just say this, do this, and you'll be saved. And these things were happening. So largely, I think we could say the first great awakening was theological. The second great awakening was methodological. And it wasn't really concerned with theology. We can create the move and power of God on our own. Yeah. And obviously, there should be red flags with what this. You think about that, yeah. Not only with what Finney did, but with where this movement led. Yeah. To build on that. The first Great Awakening was very much so, even though John Wesley was one of the 
leading characters there, mm-hmm. but still was very much so Calvinistic. That, yeah, for sure. And the Second Great Awakening was very much so humanistic. Yeah. Like that's another way of phrasing that, that there was a, a huge emphasis in the First Great Awakening. And I would argue in some of the pure waves of the Second Great Awakening under guys like Asa Nettleton, who you can look up and read about, a phenomenal preacher, Calvinistic guy, that were very God-centric God had to do the work. We pray and we preach so that God will work and and whereas in the second grade awakening. And the reason why it's just some people might be listening like, who cares about Finney? Pretty much everything we have today, every, everything that we're doing today, when it comes to an altar call, manipulative strategies, even marketing techniques in the church, yeah. a lot of that came from Finney in the um, early 19th century. Including, I mean, if you go to, and I, I love Billy Graham, like I have no qualms, uh, theologically, we would have been a little bit on different pages, but if you go to the Billy Graham um, center now for evangelism, like up front, front and center is a huge display to Charles Finney and, mm-hmm. and the impact he had. Jerry Falwell, some issues there, but Jerry Falwell said that Charles Finney was one of the stalwarts of the, the, the this modern era of faith. And so people are basing their theology. And here's the, here's the deal. Before I get into the philosophy of why he did this, which is pretty atrocious. Finney was a, an attorney. Just just, just we're clear. Hey, no, no John was this Peter. before or after he was kicked out of the Presbyterian circle? <laughs> now, this is this is before he started preaching. He was an attorney. Oh, okay. Okay. So his All view right. of justification is very very man-centered. Like, we have yeah. to justify ourselves. He, in his systematic theology, which is not a systematic theology at all, actually, one of his favorite sermons, his most popular sermons, was entitled Sinners Bound to Change Their Own Hearts. Hmm. Like, that was the name of the sermon. Um, in his systematic, he says things like, whenever someone sins, he must, for the time being, cease to be holy. This is self-evident. Whenever he sins, he must be condemned. He must incur, incur the penalty of the law of God. It is said that the precept is still binding upon him, but that with respect to the Christian, the penalty is forever set aside or abrogated. I reply to the abrogate. The penalty is to repeal the precept, for a precept without penalty is no law. So this here, here it is. It is only counsel or advice. The Christian, therefore, is justified no longer than he obeys mm. and mm. must be condemned when he disobeys or antinomianism is true, which antinomianism for a different stretch, but basically means against the law. There is no law. Sheesh. There's no reason for obedience. In these respects, then, the sinning Christian and the unconverted sinner are up on precisely the same positional ground. Yeah. That's Finney. So when we talk about like, even in today, like when you go to uh, go to a conference or go to a youth rally or a youth mm-hmm. summer camp or whatever, and it's like, how many conversions were there? Yeah. Well, we had 132 or we had 871 decisions. decisions. Yeah, all these right. decisions. Right. That's very Finney-esque. Yeah. People don't realize it. It's, it comes out of that very humanistic, we have to justify ourselves. And where Finney, he had all these inflated numbers. But what would happen is, let's say Deshaun comes to Finney's meeting on a Monday um, gets convicted in the anxious seat, prays to receive Jesus. There's a number. But what happens, accor- accor- yeah. according to Deshaun, Deshaun doesn't obey perfectly. Because yeah. um, Finney very much believed in sinless perfectionism, that yeah. you had to continue being perfect because of his erroneous judicial views of, man, if I'm going to be justified, I have to be right. I have to be right. It's not enough that Christ is right. So he'd lose his justification. The shaman loses justification. Next well, has it Come, Monday, loses Tuesday. Yeah, comes back Wednesday, on Monday. gets it again. Another <laughs> decision. Another, another, another decision. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, all that to say, Finney had this huge elevated view of man. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite theologians, Johnny B.B. Warfield, mm. and he said of Finney, he made this statement. 
he was at Princeton Theological. He said, God might be eliminated from Finney's theology entirely without essentially changing its character at all. Mm. If that can be said of our theology, of any of our theology, there is a problem. Yikes. If you can take God Yikes. out, extract him out of our theology and continue. It actually reminds me, I think it was Francis Chan who said that he's he's afraid that we're going to get so good at the manufacture. I know Francis Chan show, kind of diverged in circus charismania now, but um, that, that we're going to get so good at this that we won't need the Holy Spirit at all to yeah. do anything anymore. We won't need God anymore. And so there, there's a lot more to be said. I encourage people to actually read through this. But basically, where this comes from philosophically is, um, and this is still very prevalent today, and this is what we're talking about, mm-hmm. is this this idea of um, we see God work. And if you're listening to this, probably there's been points in your life where corporately you've seen God move and you're like, wow, you know, at a revival, at a, a Sunday morning, at a camp or crusade or conference, whatever it is, you're just like, wow, God is moving. God is in this place. And you want to get back to that. Or you see this corporate movement where sinners in the hands of an angry God is preached and hundreds of people are converted. And I think, it's a, I think the estimates are a million people yeah. were converted Gosh. in the first great awakening. So Finney wants to see that because if you're if you don't run in like kind of pastoral ministerial circles, there's a lot of talk still today, especially in certain evangelical circles of revival, like of God doing a work, like we want him to do a work, please do a work, like do a work. Yeah. And the tendency can become, well, if we can manufacture this work, then we can see change, societal yeah. change, which was a huge thrust of the 19th century Second Great Awakening. Um, If you look at this, there was a huge emphasis on teetotalism, on social reform, on abolition of slavery. Things are good, but what it was is it became this kind of moral therapeutic deism where like God is distant, he's abstract, abstract a lot more, which I mean, this is, there's been huge arguments and I would agree that this is what we struggle with today is we're presenting in a lot of our churches this idea that God is there, he set the rules, he wants you to be a good person, good yeah. boy, good girl. And uh, if you can do this, you're going to be all right. And that's kind of what Finney preached. Obey, do the first fruits, merit your salvation. He said in his systematic, Christ should not have died for anyone else's sins but his own. His mm-hmm. own obedience to law and his perfect righteousness were sufficient to save him, <laughs> but could not, could not be legally accepted on behalf of others. What? So. That, that's 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 a direct yeah, quote. No, no, I hear so yeah, so the, uh, the issue here is if Christ, if he's just an example to me, a moral example yeah. of what sacrifice looks like, and I need to follow that example to be a Christian. And you're like, well, that's not what we're preaching. What, but what we're doing is when I'm when I'm manipulating you and trying to coerce you to pray this prayer, make this yeah. decision, exercise this this faith, walk in this obedience. I'm putting the, the honus, the emphasis on you. It's become increasingly man-centered instead of lifting up the person of Christ. So, look, we could talk a lot more about yeah, this. So that, I spent a couple hours, but, but that is the yeah. historical and philosophical kind of, kind of let's manufacture what only God can actually do. Was it this moment in time where revivals, so first great awakening, Revival is something that you pled with God for and waited on God to bring. I think we'd say that about the first. Second, was this the moment where revivals and tent meetings started to be scheduled and put on the calendar? Oh, for sure. Like, oh, Finney, this is something Finney, there's, there's, I can do at this time. from Finney yeah. Even to Billy Sunday to yeah. then Billy yeah. Graham. It became, it became, instead of like, let's get together and pray that God moves, let's bring in a preacher. Let's hype this up. Finney yeah. would, there's actually records yeah. historically where Finney would say, um, don't start preaching 
really until my posters are up, until I come to town. So it's all this marketing marketing mm-hmm. strategy. And if you aren't, if you can't see that correlation to today and how we do things a lot of times in the church, mm. um, then you know we're not we're not paying attention on things. So yeah, for well sure, said. like that that all came from yeah. there. No, and so now that we have a good basis for like where it's come from, the philosophy of it, and it seems like it's pretty clear that at least the way we start off with Finney that we don't agree with the way that he went about it because it gives a false sense of assurance, false sense of salvation. And so the question that I had, and I, I think a lot of people do have is, all right, there probably were some legitimate people who came to faith. And so the question then comes is, what is the like necessary amount of information that you do need to be saved, even if Finney's doing it in a manipulative way? So what is sufficient for somebody to say, hey, they actually believed yeah. enough or confessed enough? You know, I just people will say that. They'll be like, well, God used them. Yeah. God used him. Mm-hmm. Let's say only 12 people got saved. God used of, Balaam's donkey. I was going to say, he spoke to an ass once. He can speak to an <laughs> ass many times, right? Say, like, yeah. I mean, like, he can. Like, honestly, if we're just being just honest here. Like, like, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, but honestly, like, if we're if we're just being straight up, like, if, if he yeah. if he can speak through a donkey in, what is Numbers 22, and repentance takes place, yep. then he can use anybody. Like, I mean, that that's kind of akin to, in my mind anyway, of going... Um, well, I have a ministry into the strip club. I'm a single guy. I have a ministry. I go in and there's been a girl saved. And I'm like, uh, just because there, there was a there was somebody converted doesn't mean that the ministry is legitimate, Like that, that you should be doing this. It's just like me and Jeffrey, we talked about, we, we started dating our wives, used kind of evangelistic dating strategies, and both of our wives became Christians. And so, but now having matured and grown up, we'd go, we wouldn't recommend that path. Not ideal. Right? Just because it worked doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. Just because uh. God uses, just because God uses the brokenness and even our disobedience, He'll use that to bring about. Um, and also, I think I think we have to ask the question of how many souls are being damned hmm. through false assurance, false yeah. converts, yeah. false converts, yeah. people who are like they go back and they go, "Well, I wrote it in my Bible on June." <laughs> 19th, 2003, that that's when I prayed the prayer and that's when I walked down the aisle and that's when I became a Christian yeah. at this revival or this church service, whatever. And we're like, first of all, you're not going to find writing in your Bible, praying a prayer, walking down now, you're just not going to find any of that. And so um, I think that that is, you know, the, the argument begins to kind of deteriorate of, um, well, God used him. Yeah. Like God, no, God that used makes him sense. in that. So how about for you, Adam? How about for the question of, all right, if we can get past the point of, even though the Lord uses it, whatever it may be, it doesn't justify it. But how about for those people who are just like, well, this was enough for me to be saved. Like, what is that necessary amount of information they need or amount of preaching or just what do they need to know to be saved? So they say this was at least good to them. The gospel. Yeah. Christ crucified for sinners. We repent and believe. Repentance toward God, faith toward the Lord Jesus. Yeah. That's that's the Acts model. Yeah. And so every sermon Every Christian worship gathering that is not calling sinners to repentance and sinners toward faith toward Christ is not Christian. Yeah. I mean, it might be something, it might feel great, it might have energy, momentum, but if that's not the center, it's not Christian and yeah. we and we shouldn't call it that. If, I mean, we've just seen from what, what you've read, Aaron, I mean, was that there in Finney? I mean, I'm sure some legitimate converts came from these movements, but from what, what you read, the content there of doctrine and gospel, it seems pretty hollow from Finney's point of view. So I don't know if much of that was happening in his meetings. Hmm. But other guys at the time, there's a bunch of it. 
And I think that they were probably employing similar, well, I don't know, similar methods, but with really true content yeah. and robust gospel doctrine there. And that's probably where we want to reflect more today on what, what do we look like more in our meetings? And is this a good idea? Well, what's, what's being proclaimed? What's yeah. being called to? How are we doing yeah. it? Is there manipulation or is it a heartfelt plea towards sinners to come to the Savior? Yeah. And that, that actually leads into my next question is, mm. as we're looking at the, obviously the negative side of altar calls, and as you were talking about, there is a call to preach and they're called to repentance. So we we do want people to come to know Jesus, to turn and to repent, but the reality is we don't want to be manipulative. So yeah. is there a way that altar calls can be done well? Is there any redeeming value in no. them? <laughs> I'm just kidding. So you just go out right away. I'm going start with you then, Aaron. I'm actually a big fan, in spite of everything we've said so far. <laughs> I am a huge fan of altar calls, if you want to call it that, of invitations being done well. Okay. My favorite fellas in history that were preachers. C.S. Lewis wasn't a preacher, but mm. um, you could say he wasn't a sorts. Yeah, not Marnie not, not a sorts, but hey, that's for another time. That's Amen. for another time. Do Amen. not do not diss the greatest. Yes. Um, oh, but uh, but my favorite John Bunyan and Charles Spurgeon. Those are probably like right up there with Calvin. He was he was different, but Bunyan and Spurgeon would plead with no coercion. I guess that's a relative term, but they would just plead with sinners to come, to trust in Christ today, to not put it off. And the thing I love about them is they were like, Spurgeon was close to Moody, you know, who was not reformed. Moody preached his and, funeral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and Bunyan was close to the conformist of his day, yeah. had a good relationship with Baxter. And if you don't know what that means, basically it's guys who were not on the same theological plane in some respects, yeah. but they both had, they all had a love for Christ that said, and Moody was much more in the Arminian camp, but he wasn't where Finney is um, from everything I've read. And it just, just the idea of it's been lost in, in a lot of our circles, like more kind of intelligentsia, high steeple, high church, um, stuffy, to, to plead with sinners because we're so frozen we're, chosen. Well, we're so convinced, <laughs> right? We're so convinced as we should be that salvation is a work of one monergistic. Mm -hmm. It's a work of one. The, the spirit must come by, by the sovereign plan of God must come and regenerate, wake up implant faith. All that's true. But that does not mean, I mean, Paul says to at 16, when the flipping jailer comes, what must I do to be saved? Paul doesn't go, ah, nothing, you know, like the spirit has to do a work there. Like, you know, he's like, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, and there's a pleading that you hear in the, in the reformers and a pleading that you hear in some of the Puritans, um, the, the, the passionate Puritans to come and to <laughs> believe. And they, they knew all these guys knew Paul knew the only way the Philippian jailer is going to come and believe is because yep. the spirit has given him the will to do so. But I think there should be more of that pleading. And I think there should be, I'm a, I'm a big Martin Lloyd-Jones fan in this regard mm, that, yeah, me too. that God works in a place among a people. That's why we were so reticent for so many years to do a live stream here. That's why we still encourage our people. Hey, if you're out of town, if you're sick, you got sick kids at home, tune in. But otherwise come to the yeah. gathering of the saints together because historically and theologically, I believe the spirit of God moves in power 
in those moments, in those places. And so I think it's, I would believe it's important at the conclusion of, and I think the gospel should be in every sermon that we preach, to invite sinners. And we do that here. Yep. Now, do we play like 17 stanzas of just as I am? And <laughs> I surrender and, all. And Deshaun stands up there and goes, we're not going home until we have at least 18 professions. Like, oh, I see those hands and everybody's looking around. There's like, there's no hands. Like, what are you talking about? Um, do we do that? No. Someone just raise a hand. No, 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 up. no, we don't do that. It's hokey. It's cheesy. It's manipulative. It's it's damaging more than anything else. It's yep. damaging yep. for the six-year-old. Like, I, I guarantee you I could get saved. The Finney model, I could get saved all my children right now. Yeah. My seven-year-old, my five-year-old, my three-year-old. I get saved all your kids. I could be like, oh, do you want to make your parents happy? Do you want to live like this great life? Which is literally what- You want to go to heaven? It's really yeah, what preachers are preaching yeah. today. Furtick, Osteen, Jake's, like you just go down the line. That's what they're preaching. Oh you want to be happy? Gosh. You want to have like a great life? You want to be a conqueror? You want like, okay, here, pray this prayer after me. Yeah. And that's, the sinner's prayer was born out of- this movement. This, this movement. The Finney movement, the Billy Sunday movement, Moody, and and then, of course, Billy Graham. Yep. That was all born out because what, what we need now is, man, it's too disempowering to rely on the spirit to do something. Hmm. Like that's – I don't have the patience for that. We need to concoct trust. a formula. Yeah. Yeah. We need to concoct a formula to get my kids saved. Meanwhile, my five-year-old grows up to live like the devil – and keeps going, well, my daddy, when I was five, he he prayed this prayer with me, and I prayed after him, and I believed in Jesus, so I'm good to go. Yeah. And that is nowhere in Scripture at all, mm-hmm. at all. And there are countless people, I think, being damned because they have, like, this completely false assurance. So done right, I'm a huge fan. Yes. But it's so easy to do it wrong. So insofar as we do it, like you're saying, in all the wrong ways, we should not only stop doing it, but this is wrong and sinful to do an altar call in this way. But insofar as we are with our whole hearts and souls pleading with God's people, with the lost uh, to be saved, with God's people to return again to the fountain that you first drank at, we should do that. And I'm a fan of not just leaving it for the end of the service, but the whole meeting of God's people, I think, mm. should be a large call to come to Christ, yeah. whether for the first time or for the 4,000th time. If that's not happening, I think we're sinning and not being faithful in our stewarding of the church. Sunday morning is not just an informational pursuit. Yeah. 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 And it has become that in a lot of reformed churches. It has. In fear of, out of fear of it becoming over emotional or false decisions or whatever, it's become this. I'm just going to stand up here like a seminary class and I'm going to teach you some stuff this morning. We don't want a lifeless orthodoxy, exactly. no. but we also yeah. don't want an enthusiastic heresy. We talked about this on the. Um, Which one was it? I think it was tongues. The, the truth is typically when we come to these theological issues, it's, well, it's typically rooted in historicity. So where, where historically have we been as a church, not for the last 180 years, but for the last 2000 years, but it's rarely in one or one of the extremes. The extremes here are no invitation, don't plead, don't beg, don't even ask, God will do the work, hyper-Calvinistic, or Let's manipulate, play good let's music. strategize, let's mm-hmm. do, yeah, let's play, play some powerful. Let's make sure to have know, a song at the end where, it's, where it starts slow, then there's a moment of kind of reflective 
pause, then shoots up and tries. We do do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, many modern songs do this, but it's it's how we're using them and what we're intending to do with them. We can manipulate or we can encourage things like this. So that that brings me to another question then. So let's say somebody (laughs) did get caught into all of this and they got, you know, saved or they've professed faith at an altar call. What would you tell them or advise them to see if their faith really is true? How do they know that, hey, that was a real legitimate profession versus, hey, this was just get caught into the moment of emotionalism or things along that lines? What would be your advice to somebody who has gone before at an altar call to figure out if that was legitimate? You ever had this question? Yeah. Come to you from someone? Really? I don't think I have. Yeah, I have. We actually get this question quite a bit because we get a lot of people from... Pentecostalism and the Baptist mm, circles that mm-hmm. start coming to Building 28, and they're just aghast yeah. at why we don't do altar calls. Yeah, we've had that. We've had people leave our church because we yeah. don't do them. Or, or I mean, They're like, you're not faithful. You don't care about the lost. And I'm like... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the same for like, I mean, we have people from, you know, more liturgical backgrounds, I guess you would say, that are, that will be concerned because we do communion here every other week. We yeah. don't do that. We don't... Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And so, but they'll be like, because you don't do it every week. Like, that's very concerning for us. Or because you don't read the mm-hmm. creeds every week. You know, it's very concerning for whatever. And it's I get it. Like, something. we all have, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Right. You know, reading the creeds, we right. love the creeds. Like, uh, right. taking communion, we love taking communion. We're commanded to take communion. Um, but people get used to a certain way of doing things. They get caught in tradition, and tradition's not necessarily bad. Um, but for us, I, I don't know. I just kind of look at this whole thing, and uh, we do get these questions. People will come up and say, hey, I mean, they won't be under conviction. I just preached. We just finished our series Abide from John chapter 15. Mm. And in the second week, you know, we talked, we went kind of deep on the the branches that are gathered and burned, which we're going to do a What is Hell podcast coming up here soon. But mm-hmm. um, the branches gathered and burned. And, and that it seems like in John 15, that these branches, you know, I kind of paralleled Matthew 7, 21 through 23, that they seem like they're pretty convinced. Like we're, we're, you know, these branches, these, these false converts, because they pray the sinner's prayer, because they grew up in the church, or because they spouse traditions, or because they said they believe in Jesus. They're so convinced. That's the scariest thing. They're so convinced I am mm-hmm. a Christian that they're willing to argue with God at the end of time about it. You know, Lord, I, I did all this stuff. Like I did everything. And so people be under conviction and they'll come forward. We talked about this on our Q&A, I think, to finish up season yeah. two, like, how can I know I'm a Christian? Like, how yeah. can I have assurance? And we might yeah. hit on that more this season. But um, to me, I think I try to direct them to, are you trusting in Lord Jesus Christ? Um, you feel conviction of sin. Um, believe in Lord Jesus Christ. I think born out of, and you might disagree with this, I don't know, but born out of Finneyism, Arminian, Pelagian, humanistic practices of the 19th and 20th century. Really, I hate to say this because I love my, some of my Dispy friends, but born out of radical dispensationalism, there has been an overemphasis, an unneeded overemphasis on the moment yeah. that you became a Christian. Yeah. I believe that for a lot of true converts, they can't pinpoint that because regeneration mm. took place. They didn't, they didn't make that happen. The Holy Spirit made that happen. And there was a moment in time where they went from unbelieving to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, granted, I understand Romans 10, there should be a confession with the mouth of that. Mm-hmm. And a believing with the heart. You know, and a believing in the heart. But I think that people begin to believe in the Lord, truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ before they're even fully, it is a volitional act, don't get me wrong, but before they're even, before they ever pray or say something or... You know, like when somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I really want to trust Christ. And I've had the pleasure of doing that. 
um, like my son, even my oldest, hmm. I'm like, I'm going to pray for you. And I just want you to like talk to the Lord. That's awesome. Like tell him you're a sinner. Like, did you believe that? Right. Yeah. And, um, did you believe Jesus covers that? Like, did you like tell, tell him that? And so that's a formulaic process of similar to the sinner's prayer. But to me, it's not a, it's not, a, oh, I feel bad. I'm scared about hell. Like, okay, well, hey, look, just repeat this. Like, you have yeah. no idea what you're doing. <laughs> right, um, right. And I just know, like, I know I'm rambling a lot today, but this is something that's very, like, it weighs heavy on me. Because um, growing up in the church, growing up in Armenian circles, um, growing up in a very manipulative culture of altar calls, my dad, my dad's great. He's, he's awesome, reformed guy. But he ran with a lot of the non-reformed fellas. Um, that I don't want to drop their names. And probably a lot of our hearers wouldn't even recognize their names because they were very in that independent Baptist way of like going to crusades and like frightening people into like coming to Jesus, you know. But uh, I saw a lot of that. And then even since I've been a Christian, like we went, like I'm not trying to cap on anybody, but we went to an event. I'll say that event here in Clearwater around Halloween where it was set up. Revelation Road. Oh man. It's like that. It is set up. Terrified these kids. It is set up to scare the bejesus out of teenagers. And I had kids who had hardly ever been in church or never been in church who were crying, who... I don't want who that. who prayed to receive Jesus that night? Well, well, and the that, last room they come to, Jesus will save you from all yes. that. Yeah. Anybody want Else that? Thanks. Yep. And then never. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I haven't seen those kids since then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like literally, and and I'll see them on social media, and they are the furthest from the Lord they could possibly be, but they will trace it back. Like I'm, so I'm not talking hypothetically here. They will trace it so back to an yeah. event that took place here in Clearwater, where some person they've never seen before set them down after they got the crap scared out of them and said you don't want that do you you don't want to be in hell with like satan where he's like pitchfork and chain link fence and loud music and flames and hot heat and like you don't want that like right yeah pray this prayer after me and like they have this tethered to this completely false assurance it's very manipulated yes yeah that's that's all it's based on yeah so that that is why there's a a great deal of passion concerning this with it because we see a lot of hype a lot of false profession and a lot of people who have this semblance of security so going back to when people come forward i'm always encouraging people to come forward because if there's conviction that's always a good sign it's it's the people who are never coming forward they just walk out and they're like i'm good i'm good because of x y or z that i did and that's born out of modern Christianity and is not born out of scripture. And I definitely understand your passion because I grew up not exa- exact same background, but more in the Pentecostal side of it, where we had so many altar calls. I remember putting my faith in Jesus like a good three or four times because we were told you're supposed to come up, profess, and then you could lose your salvation. Mm. And so when I finally became a believer, and this is the irony of this whole situation for me personally, where I don't, like you said before, of employing the styles that we're talking about that are negative in altar calls, but I actually was saved at an altar call. And and the craziness of it was, um, it was the night before I had been convicted of sin through, I had some good friends of mine that were beginning to preach to me and tell me about the gospel. And it was just this overwhelming sense of like, oh yeah, I'm in the complete wrong. Because I'd always justified myself in so many different ways, but I thought you had to wait for an altar call. Mm. And so... In God's providence and my ignorance, um, the church that they were going to was this massive, massive church that had an altar call. And so I don't remember what the preacher said. I don't remember anything at all that he said. I just knew I was supposed to wait for that moment. And so it's this weird situation where because of my background, I thought that's what you're supposed to do is go up to this altar call and you need somebody to pray for you. But God in his providence and just grace towards me 
he already stirred in my heart and was changing my heart. And so as I get to, as I was working through that, because for the next month I was wrestling through like, am I really saved? Did I say my prayer strong enough? And I was going through so much of that. And I was brought to this reality from, um, I forgot if it was Whitfields or Edwards, but they were talking about the Great Awakening. And they were saying how when people would come after these massive emotional moments, they would come to them and he would tell them, come back to me in three to six months. Like there was this <laughs> time delay because it was reality that when we truly are saved, the Lord changes us. Salvation is not just a, I made a decision for Christ in this moment, but it's a new life that's in us. And so there'll be fruit that'll produce over time. And so that was one of the most assuring thing for me was, all right, the Lord's gonna work in me over time. It's not just as you were saying, hey, I'm looking back to the, just this moment. Once the hype and is that's over. It. Yeah. yeah, once all that's yeah. died out, when the hype is gone, there's nobody manipulating you. And so that's why my last question for you guys is, as people go through those moments, they have this emotional experience, yeah. what's your advice for them after you know making a profession, you know, we'll figure out if it's legitimate or not. What's your advice for them on next steps to do so that they don't just end at that moment? I think the first thing I would say is someone who's who's in that moment is talk to them about the moment. Yeah. Like what happened? Did you did you hear anything? Did you just go because your friends went? Kind of similar questions that you you've already addressed. But if if it was authentic, if it was true, if we think it was true from what we're seeing, I think the next steps is all right. The Christian life has begun. You don't do this thing on your own. Get plugged into a local church. Lean into it. Do all your Thank life you. there. Get to know these people. Let them know you. Yeah. And follow Jesus with that community. Read the scriptures. Lean into it. Seek the Lord. Obey his word. Join the church. Share with the lost. Spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And be faithful where the Lord leads you. What's the percentage right now? I think I saw it this morning where you could die from COVID. What's that? One in was it like ninety nine point nine seven percent survival no rate? <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's way up there. The reason I say that is that is the chance that point zero zero three that you have of actually growing to Sean's point and thriving and bearing fruit without the church. Because because I agree with you that when legitimate salvation takes place, legitimate, you will grow. But yet, at the same time, you grow through the church, through good preaching, through the word, through the sacraments, through corporate worship. We grow through these disciplines and these liturgical processes that the Lord himself has, has stated for us, that he's put in place. And so there's a lot of like, oh, I can't, you know, look, you cannot grow. Like, you're not going to grow like without what the Lord himself has put in place for us. And so that's where I would point someone. I wouldn't, and I, and I know that Whitfield and Edwards and yourself, Deshaun, you wouldn't say, hey, just go for, you know, you you trusted Jesus today, go six months and let's see what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah, but no. but but what what you are saying is, like, this is an incredible moment. Like mm -hmm. if, if you've trusted Christ in the last year, last 20 years, today, like we would say the same thing as Spurgeon would say, believe in the Lord Jesus today. That's a monumental moment. Like justification only happens one time. Like it yeah. happens one time Amen. in a singular moment. But if justification truly took place, this is another thing we can talk about in a different episode, but the whole eternal security, once saved, always saved thing has, has kind of been bastardized too today because um, and it's not really, as we've said before, once saved, always saved, if saved, always saved. And so hmm. if, if the work of justification has truly taken place through an altar call, even through a manipulative strategy, through Arminian preaching, whatever it is, because he does, he, the Spirit of God works through a lot of different ways and means. But if that's really taken place, do what Adam said, like get plugged in, 
And that is the means whereby our faith in Christ grows deeper, you know, these means. So um, don't ignore that. It's not just a pill that we take and we're like, I'm just going to be everything's Christian great. now. Everything, yeah. You know, everything's great. It's, it's actually submitting ourselves to um, what the Lord has taught us to. And at the same time, I want to I make clear for those listening, nothing we're saying today, just because we have a high view of God and like that God is the one who must and does make justification occur, just because we have that does not mean that we should not plead with our children. Plead with our parents, plead with our grandparents, plead with the boyfriend, plead with the girlfriend. I mean, that's for our discussion too about staying an unbeliever. <laughs> but plead with our friends. Trust Jesus today. Like he's worthy of that. It's not to like run away from hell um, necessarily, primarily. It's, to, you know, to run to Jesus. Like he's, he's worthy of that. And all the things this world promises are empty. He's the only one who guarantees life and, and all that, that we need. So. Amen. I think well that's said. it for today. So if you're listening to this, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with <laughs> us. <laughs> just wait, you've been waiting to want to do that. <laughs> I haven't. Had, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I see that hand. Um, anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in. Love you guys. Drop comments in today. It would be great. Um, repeat this after me. Uh, no. Oh, Deshaun, thanks for hosting, man. Adam, thanks pleasure. for being here. Jeffrey, thanks for recording. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.